Hi, I'm Caitlin Prest, and I am here in your ear to tell you about a very incredible new show called Asking For It. Asking For It is a darkly comedic series that follows a queer femme singer whose history of violence finds her no matter how many times she runs away. It has an original soundtrack, and it'll make you laugh, cry, and feel a little bit less alone. Asking for it. Subscribe now. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Gander International Airport in central Newfoundland. I'm here with Frank Brown, who's here to pick up some passengers from a flight that just arrived from Toronto. Just waiting for my chickens to come in now from Fray's Atchery in Ontario. Day-old chicks. 1,200 of them. They're in cargo, and, and there's up to 100 birds in a box. Just open the boxes and have a look at a few just to make sure they're musky, and then out in the truck, and summer port we go. As cute as these fluffy little guys are, they're at the center of a showdown about municipal politics, climate change, food security, and who gets to decide what you do in your own backyard. I'm Caroline Hillier, and this is Storylines. Every week, a different journalist will take you somewhere in the country to tell you great stories with great characters. This week, I'm taking you to Summerford. We're going to go to my place now, to where I keep my animals. It's a small, usually quiet town with a population of about 900 people in central Newfoundland. It's about a six-hour drive from where I live in St. John's. I got me birds, yeah. Newfoundland and Labrador has high rates of food insecurity. Most of the food we eat here, we don't grow here which means the province depends heavily on food supply chains, which can cause problems. For one, the island of Newfoundland is, well, an island, and the weather can get pretty extreme. When I was a kid in rural Newfoundland, everyone in my school got trapped inside for two nights because of a snowstorm. Food needed to be snowmobiled in from the town's only general store. And then there's Snowmageddon. You've probably heard of that. The snowstorm that shut down St. John's in 2020. We have a lot of snow, so that light, that's our back door. Not really accessible at this moment. There's nothing out there except wind and snow, and it's kind of scary. When stores reopened, lineups were long and shelves were bare. That revealed just how fragile shipping chains are here. And it sparked a conversation about local farming. In tiny towns and in massive cities, it can be typical and legal to have a vegetable patch or a few chickens. That's not exactly the case in Newfoundland and Labrador. This past summer, farmers and food growers made what they've described as an urgent call to the provincial government to remove barriers to growing their own food. Because in a lot of towns in Newfoundland and Labrador, you can't. And Frank Brown is fighting back. Truck is not clean. This is a farm truck. 
That's how, a few weeks before our feathery trip to the airport, I ended up in Frank's truck, heading out to what he'd call a farm and his town council would call a bylaw infraction. So my animals are way up there in the trees. So this is the place that we're trying to shut down in summer for. The chicken coop and turkeys all there together. I got the duck's pond and, and ducks down there. Come on, girls. Come on, girls. Frank grabs handfuls of wilted lettuce out of containers covered in pink 50% off stickers. The goat up there, the billy goat, he's named after the cool water cowboy, Morse Anstey. Uh, there's a, a little lamb there named after Councillor Newman. There's a, another one there named after the mayor, Kevin. Another one named after Councillor Hernes. My, my uh, granddaughter is named Summer. She's named after one. Frank runs Larissa's farm and hatchery, a small-scale commercial farm on a side road, off another side road, sandwiched between trees and the Atlantic Ocean. This island, island across here is called Farmer's Island. This harbour coming in here is Farmer's Arm. In the summer, Frank's animals move to agricultural land just outside of town. But most of the year, they're here, up on a hill, surrounded by trees with no neighbours in sight. Yeah, like, what's not to love about them? Like, like this stuff, like, if you got a bad, stressful day, if you come up here for an hour, like, it relaxes you. And, you know, everybody got a bit of stress. And right now, the town council's adding a lot of stress to the local residents of Summerford. A few weeks ago, Frank Brown was served papers from the town council of Summerford. His partner, Sian Rousel, first opened the envelope. Okay, so it's stating here. And whereas the town council of the town of Summerford is aware that you are building and or have built a livestock structure barn or on near your property at 38 Village Colville West. Inside, an order to remove Frank's animals and barn. The town plan doesn't allow for any livestock in town limits. And that means no backyard chickens and certainly no commercial farming. And it says here, and further take notice that if the removals are not completed, the town council of the town of Summerford has the ability under section 1025 of the URPA to carry out the removal of the barn and the removal of the livestock and recover the costs against you as a debt owed to the town council of the town of Summerford. Restrictions like these are common in small towns, although not often enforced. After years of working on farms in Alberta and as a commercial fisherman, Frank invested in this farm and had plans to keep growing it. This is it, and I've gone too far, I know to turn around and back out of it. So you can't just get rid of 120 sheep, you know, and 10 or 15 goats. And this year is the first year that I've ordered vegetable plants off agriculture in Wooddale. I, had, uh, I just had 20,000 plants come, cabbage and turnip and onions, so... This isn't just a job for Frank. It's a way of life and a way to produce his own food. Well, I got 10 or 11 freezers, and they're most all the time full. I don't buy any meats from the store. I don't buy no eggs. I don't buy no vegetables. We go to the store for basically the basics, flour, and salt, pepper, whatever, but we don't buy a lot of stuff at the store. Uh, we take most of that, the, the water, off the land that we farm. Frank appealed the order, and it's now before the courts. People start contacting me, and well, we just kind of went from there, and then everybody in 
their dog been contacting me, they want to get involved, and there's lawyers contacted and wanted a copy of our removal order. So everybody that wanted, we're just getting it to them because we're not stopping. Right now, we're organizing protests. <coughs> Outside the town hall, about 30 residents are waiting in the rain. They're here for a public town council meeting. Frank isn't the only one here arguing to keep his animals. I'm staying with Frank, so I was on council. And Julia Hawkins has a pet pony named Sparks, who lives in a barn and goes for walks on a leash. Julia was on council just a few weeks ago, but resigned after being told Sparks had to leave town. So I resigned because I had to fight this as a resident, which I was talking to the mayor and he said, of course, that's what you should have done. And I got one pony. Like, I can't even, I don't even compare to these guys. Everybody, we got support right across Canada. I've got over 2,000 emails. And today, actually, a lawyer contacted me, Frank, from Ontario. So she's going she to give me a call and uh, just talk to me about some free legal advice. Other residents like Katie Anstey and Shane Hillier were also issued orders. Guys, you guys had animals? Yeah, so we had three pigs last year and we had 12 hens yeah. and rooster. And, and so what happened? We were issued the same removal uh, that Frank and Julia received this year. So we got the same paper last year. So we had to remove all of our animals. If we did not comply, our structure would be torn down um, at our expense. So we actually just bought our home two years ago. So it's a very big regret that we decided to be here in Stoneford. Um, with the raising food prices, it's just, you know, the next best step. And while well, it's looking about near damn impossible right now, <laughs> it looks pretty like a pretty bleak future for us here in Stoneford at the moment. The meeting is about to start, but council won't let everyone in. There's, there's more than 22 people. The residents of Songford would like to attend this meeting, and he'd like to be able to attend in, in a building that could accommodate everybody. So. Frank is demanding that the town open up a bigger room in the community hall next door. And he wants to come to the council meeting. The council meeting is public, is it not? Yeah, but there's only so much room. But you got a building right there, you got lots of accommodations. If he's not going to open up the building to accommodate the residences, the oh, they're going to open it up. I guess, I guess it made sense. You can't refuse us. So, council unlocks a room next door. Together, the protesters and town council members all unstack piles of chairs and set up a table. Once the meeting starts, council approves a couple building permits and mentions donations for its summer festival. And then it's Frank's turn to speak. Animals have been a part of summer board since the first day. When you was a boy, head around shore, it was cow paths. The animals rolled the roads. The animals today is pinned up in gardens. They're fed, they're watered, and they're looked after. It's not like they're out starving to death or, or you know, crapping all over your lawn. Since I was four or five years old, I had ducks, I had chickens, I had everything else. I've had cows, I've had goats, I've had sheep, I've had pigs, i got a donkey. And I believe you never pit lobster them by the war. So today, I'm here fighting for my animals. All these people here is here to back up 
everyone else in this community that wants a chicken, if he wants a goat, if he wants a cow, if he wants a horse or a pig. They're here supporting. And there's many more people in this town that would like to have animals. This is rural Newfoundland. These communities was built around fishing and farming. This is what this was all about. So as a council, we never had no other choice. We had to do what we had to do. Mayor Kevin Barnes says the issue with the animals is simple. The current town plan does not allow livestock in residential areas. And after a complaint came in about animals in town, the council had to act on it. And that's not saying that there's nothing that's going to be changed. It's the fact that we've got to go through a process in order to change the town plan. Plain and simple as that. We've got to do, we've got to do due diligence. The town of Summerford declined multiple interview requests on this, but say there have been complaints from residents about livestock in residential areas. I asked to see those complaints, but was told they're confidential. An official told me the complaints are related to odors and animals getting loose. In this meeting, Mayor Kevin Barnes adds that the town isn't against farming. It even considered changing the town plan to allow backyard chickens. But until those changes are made, livestock is not allowed in the town. You've got to go through the process. In order to change the town plan, you've got to go through a process. That isn't good enough for Frank. Our land out there, the Jenkins has got land, the Kosh has got land, the Wheelers, the Browns, everyone got land out there. Boyd's got land in there. The smallest, everyone got land. If, if he wants to have animals on that land, he should be entitled to that one. Because there's a municipal plan or whatever in place, that don't mean a bull of shit in this room tonight. And God bless us all. Okay, we need to take a quick break. Storylines will be right back. I'm Jonathan Goldstein, host of Wiretab. Each week you're invited to listen in on my telephone conversations, whether funny, sad, wistful, or even slightly strange. You never know just what you might hear on Wiretab. Uh, I mean, I knew you had a show. I just, I just didn't think that people actually listened to it. Howard, That's you... the breath of your genius, Jonathan. It's not just that you're funny, but you can be cripplingly, poignantly depressing. The Wiretap Archives, available on CBC Listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. So uh, I'm Nick Fairbridge. I'm a research associate with Memorial University. I'm also really interested in community research, what communities are doing about food production. So we're going inside uh, our 800-square-foot full-season greenhouse. The controversy in Summerford doesn't surprise Nick Fairbridge. He did an exhaustive review of all the provincial and municipal regulations related to agriculture in Newfoundland and Labrador. He found that outdated standards are hampering efforts to promote food security and food equity. Uh, I did a review of all municipalities, read through all 160 different regulations we have in the province, uh, and most communities are very restrictive. Um, And ultimately, uh, individuals uh, often forget that these development regulations exist. Some of them are, in the case of Summerford, almost three decades old. And those councils often are forced to uphold the regulations of different pieces of legislation and regulations, and town councils are so lost in terms of how to actually walk that path and what could they do. Nick says the problems can be traced back to an archaic piece of legislation, the 1947 Agriculture Act of the UK, which applied to Newfoundland and Labrador before it joined Canada a few years later. Just because something's old doesn't mean it's bad, but 
in this context, their definition of agriculture is all-inclusive. It doesn't distinguish whether it's commercial from personal. It doesn't distinguish anything to do with the scale or the type. Because of those old definitions and laws, in most rural communities in Newfoundland and Labrador, gardening or homesteading of any kind is technically not allowed. But the way it's written in that kind of legalese jargon, of uh, it ends up blocking uh, every fruit tree, every raised bed, and everyone. And so when one person in the community perhaps takes it too far or there's a complaint that comes in, uh, once the council's aware of the issues, they then have to act on everything. They're, they really are, they're held to uphold those regulations. Uh, and one of the things we see, or I saw throughout uh, these regulations, is very clear indication that they're kind of just making it up as they go. Uh, they're trying their best, but we see them modifying things like animal units. Uh, so on your drive up to visit us here, as you pass through different communities, uh, what is considered an animal unit of chicken probably changed from 20 up to 1,000 chickens, counting as one animal unit. And then that has regulatory implications, and that could change whether what you're doing is compliant or non-compliant. Nick says it makes for an arbitrary, uneven playing field and that the provincial government has a role to play in finding a solution. There, there could be changes to either the Municipalities Act or especially the, Ur- the Planning Acts, the Urban and, and uh, uh, Rural Planning Acts, uh, to really set those guidelines because they set the whole field of what can municipalities do, what should they be doing to regulate. Just recently, a group of farming advocates called the Killick Coast Agricultural Advisory Committee called on the provincial government to amend the Urban and Rural Planning Act. The group says, quote, inconsistent interpretation and enforcement of municipal plans, bylaws and financial penalties are interfering with food production and creating conflict within municipalities, end quote. The group is also calling for new policies to, quote, enshrine and protect local food production on both residential and agricultural lands for the good of all, end quote. It adds that the future of the province depends on gardeners and farmers to continue to rebuild food security in local communities. Nick Fairbridge agrees and says Newfoundland and Labrador isn't the only place struggling with what to do about backyard chickens and vegetable gardens or with home farms like Frank's. But Newfoundland and Labrador has some of the highest rates of food insecurity in Canada, with fewer grocery stores and fewer farms. Oh, we ship in most of our food. It is the short. I mean, the history, uh, the census of agriculture comes out every five years. And unlike many other provinces, our farms are closing at a remarkable rate. We've gone from uh, over 4,000 farms to just over 400 farms in the last number of decades. And really, we're losing about 20% of our farmland and 25% of our farmers every five years. Nick says regulations are a small part of this. It's also because of demographics, cost, and other factors. Uh, So in a state where our population is still growing, Newfoundland's not the largest, but we are growing, uh, it's a pretty uh, unfortunate state in that we, both Labrador is rural and remote, uh, Newfoundland itself is an island, so we're very reliant on, on large shipping lanes that are disrupted uh, through things like Snowmageddon uh, or other issues. There's certainly, we're not at risk of starvation by any means, but it is a concern. Snowmageddon, as Nick mentioned, was a massive winter storm in early 2020 that shut down St. John's. Towns called states of emergencies, roads were blocked, stores were closed. So it is something looking ahead. Uh, We're reliant on the ferry systems, we're reliant on air to bring it in. And that's where we are different than places like uh, Ontario or Alberta, where they have multiple routes to get into their province uh, if needed, and better connection to the other provinces uh, to bring food back and forth. 
Climate change experts warn that Newfoundland and Labrador will see more extreme weather events. As waters get warmer, hurricanes, like Fiona in 2022, are able to travel further north. Floods, erosion, snowstorms, fires can all stop food from getting to its final destination. And that's not the only reason Nick is dedicated to growing more local food. It's, it's not always just about surviving the worst case scenario. It's also just about what kind of community do we want to live in? I would like to live in a community where I know where my food is coming from, where I can go to a local mart, right, support uh, those local people. Uh, and I think that's what we can build for. You know, planning for the worst case is important, but I think better is to build a Canada that we all can be part of and want to be part of. Nick does live in that kind of community with a town plan that allows for farming and animals. Harbour, Maine, Chapels Cove, uh, Lakeview, where we're in right now, is a bit unique, is we're one of only three communities in the entire province that is fully permissive to residential or urban agriculture. So when you drive up and down, if you take a moment uh, in the community, there's goats uh, and sheep and alpacas, chickens all over the place. You'll often have to swerve around the odd goat or or goose uh, and, and bees all over the place. And so there's just an opportunity where the whole community Really, just that opportunity to create uh, local industry, local interest, give people a reason to stay. Nick says if municipalities like Summerford, where Frank Brown is, encouraged and allowed farming, it might even boost the population. Summerford's a great example in that the census shows that they've been shrinking regularly every five years. If they want a future, right, looking at, well, what keeps young families, what keeps people, well, being able to grow your own food, being uh, able to really live that rural lifestyle is one of the draws uh, that we could tap into and create more cottage industry, more opportunities in in these communities. The provincial government has made a commitment to becoming more self-reliant when it comes to food. In 2022, the government of Newfoundland and Labrador reported that over the past five years, the province reached its goal of doubling the amount of food it produces commercially. But Nick has done his own research to find out how much food is being produced outside of the commercial sector. Uh, And because so many people know they're breaking a development regulation or don't, uh, it's done in quietly in backyards and in garden plots. Um, And we don't have that number uh, at a provincial level. Uh, and we, I think we really need to, because that's what's going to help force when we say, well, look, actually, it's, it's a huge act of mass civil disobedience. We're doing it anyway. We have the chickens where people are growing potatoes. Uh, let's let them do it, because they've been growing potatoes here for, in this community, for 325 years. So we documented 500,000 pounds of food being produced outside of the commercial sector from only 750 people. Uh, so if we could scale that up, even if 1% of households in this province could get involved at that level uh, of food production, uh, we'd be talking millions and millions of pounds of food. Nick plans to put more pressure on the provincial government to help municipalities change rules and town plans to allow and even invest in local food production. Especially COVID and other things brought so much interest in, in food sustainability and people wanting to get involved in what we could have been doing for hundreds of years uh, and should have been doing in, in growing some more of our own food. Uh, and our regulations aren't there yet. We need so much more to, to really bring them up to speed. Frank is not waiting for those rules to change. We'll just open the boxes and have a look at a few. Which is why, despite what he heard in the town council meeting yesterday, Frank is at the Gander Airport, picking up more than 1,200 chicks that just arrived in cargo crates on a flight from Ontario. So where are all these uh, chicks headed? They're headed to Summerport today. And And then after that? And after that, hopefully by tomorrow night, They'd be all through their forever homes, and in 20 weeks, they'd be laying eggs. 
How do people react when they see them like this, though? They're pretty cute. Well, pretty cute, yeah. <laughs> Can they fly out? Well, they, they, yeah, they'll fly out there. They're pretty uh, active at a day old. After the town of Summerford asked Frank Brown to remove his animals, he added more. I'm going to have my 99 laying chickens for myself, and then I got 99 broilers for myself, and I'll probably have 25 or 30 turkeys for myself. Get, get a scatter one way for Christmas. So, anything else? No yeah. 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 A few more to go yet. A lot of people coming and a lot of people going. People line up outside Frank's chicken coop. They're holding cardboard boxes poked with holes. I'm feeling great. It's all excited. They're so cute. I just moved back from Ontario. My plan when I retired was to have some birds, some have some animals, and I intend to. And how worried are you that you might someday get a removal order? No, not the least bit worried. I have the space, I have the animals, I'm not bothering anybody. Frank is waiting on the appeal process to determine exactly what he'll do about his animals, but he insists they won't be leaving town. The only way those animals is leaving here, you get to take them over my dead body. Frank and his supporters plan to keep protesting outside any council meetings. They hope to make changes, not only in Summerford, but in other rural towns in Newfoundland and Labrador and even across Canada. For now, he's sending residents off with their new chickens. There's a demand in, in central Newfoundland on the coastlines for eggs that we cannot meet. And people want fresh, they want local and they want stuff where he knows where it came from, not off of the shelf in a grocery store that's a month old. Like, stuff got to change. It got to go back to the way it was in the 1800s, 1900s, when, when our forefathers settled these towns. I asked the provincial government to respond to that urgent call for changes to legislation around farming. In an emailed statement, Newfoundland and Labrador's Department of Municipal and Provincial Affairs said municipalities have the ability to zone lands for agriculture uses and can enable home gardening when councils deem it appropriate, saying, quote, Councils have the authority to create land use planning regulations and to make amendments to these, end quote. As for Frank, he's still waiting on the appeal process. In the meantime... He just welcomed four new goats to his farm. That's all for Storylines this week. Today's doc was reported and produced by me. It was story edited by Allison Cook. Now, you know the drill. If you like the show and care about Canadian documentaries, the best way to support us is by leaving us five stars. And tell a friend about your new favorite podcast, Storylines. Storylines is produced by AC Rowe. We're part of the CBC Audio Doc Unit. I'm Caroline Hillier. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.